0: Hey Marcus, give me a hand with this tarp. I'm gonna get it off the imbalanced time machine so we can go traveling here. You ready?
1: Uh, where are we going?
0: Just get in. I've got the dials all set to go.
1: All right, I'm in. All right,
0: firing it up. Here we go. We're going way back in time, Marcus. I hope you, I hope we don't miss the mark.
1: <laughs> and
0: here we are.
1: Are we in the land of the lost? Kind of looks like. It.
0: <laughs> Feels kind of scary, but it's only 1958. <laughs> All this is just in our mind. It's 1958. It just seems like Orlando lost it a lot longer ago. Come on, follow me through this door.
1: All right, let's go.
0: Here, close that door. All right. Wow, I feel a little bit like that movie The Adjustment Bureau, but here we are.
1: Where the fuck are we? It's teenaged Brian
0: Wilson's bedroom. Oh. 1958. Why are we here? Because we're trying to figure out how the Beach Boys, with three brothers, and a cousin, and a best friend, didn't seem to have the similar sibling rivalry that so many other groups had before them and since. On this episode of Sibling Rivalries, The Beach Boys, on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. So here we are. It's Brian Wilson's Bedroom, 1958. Day by day, I'm falling more in love with you. And day by day, my love seems to grow. That's the four freshmen playing on the radio in the corner. He's listening to the Johnny Otis Show on K Fox. <laughs> you know what they broadcast? Back in 2021. What? Korean programming. But back then, it was Johnny Otis's K Fox radio show. And that's where a lot of the influence on the Beach Boys came from.
1: So that's where they heard all of that early rock and roll that kind of propelled them into the direction they ended up going in.
0: And it was Brian's room first. So I guess he got more control of the radio. And as Dennis later came along and then Carl, the three of them shared a room. It was a family, you know, music around Mm -hmm. the house. Uh, Their dad, Murray, who is uh, part of the villainy in this story, was a guy who would play music, play piano, and, and it kind of created that vibe that, you know, between the harmonies that they were hearing on the radio and the music in the house, it really, like we see in so many cases, uh, set the stage for music to be part of the lives of the young Wilson brothers.
1: Yeah, some of the stories about Murray are absolutely insane. The whole Beach Boys uh, story is pretty fascinating and in many ways at times heartbreaking as well because yeah. of... The cyclical up and downs, the mental illness, the sibling rivalries, the battles, all of it is mixed into this story, and it's a crazy story.
0: Well, Murray was an abusive father. Uh, He is in the uh, upper tier of abusive fathers in rock and roll history.
1: He's up there with Michael Jackson's dad.
0: He's right up there with Joe Jackson. That's right. And I couldn't really find a real sibling rivalry amongst Brian and Dennis and Carl, they as brothers maybe were more united against the abusive father, Murray, mm-hmm. and therefore they didn't have a lot of that um, serious sibling rivalry. More nitpicky stuff that you normally have with kids growing up and that kind of stuff. Somebody always yells, "Mom loved you better," and that starts the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But as they got older, uh, the other brothers, the younger brothers got guitars. Brian already played piano, setting the stage for the formula that would be the basis for the Beach Boys. But the abuse continued, even into their teens. And at some point, and I'm not sure where, maybe we'll find some information on that at the mid-roll, or the research team will. But once they got away from their dad, the abuse took on different Forms, I guess you'd say, uh, the worst of which, in my mind, and maybe this created the ultimate rift between them and their father, was when he sold everything for not nearly its full value. And in today's dollars, had they held on to it, it would have earned the the Wilson brothers and their estates. Because two of them are gone, uh, would have earned them all kinds of money. Continued to earn them
1: all mm-hmm. kinds of money,
0: and the same could be true for Mike Love, who was their cousin. And in my view, he is Brian Wilson's real foil as a sibling rivalry inside the Beach Boys. Now, they were cousins, but look how close they were. Brian and Mike wrote all those early, you know, beachy car songs together. Mike sang lead on most of those car songs together. And when they start going their separate ways is down the road a bit, but still in the middle of the Beach Boys' prime time, when Brian Wilson, who we know had his issues and still does to some degree, uh, decides he's not going to go on the road anymore. That's a big issue for any band at that time because touring dough is just starting to matter for the bands in the '60s, right?
1: Yeah. He was withdrawing from people, and he just basically wanted to do the music, and that was it. And then going on and doing his thing, maybe with his wife, maybe with his family, but at the end of the day, he just wanted to do his thing. He didn't care about He didn't seem to care about all of the uh, accolades and being in a big room with crowded, like a big party room. He didn't seem like right. he was into or, that or scene. Or on
0: the stage in the center of attention at a concert. Yeah. You know, the song that really brings that home is In My Room, because the legend that we heard as kids, was Brian Wilson's locked himself in his room that was news There's where I can go
2: and tell my sins.
0: didn't seem to be relatable to us in our worlds because we lived in worlds where that wasn't present. I learned a lot. I know it's Hollywood's version, but I learned a lot about the story in Love and Mercy, a movie that came out with John Cusack and Paul Dano playing the two different Brian Wilsons. And you got to stretch it a little bit to get that. The movie came out in 2014 and I didn't see it for a while. And whenever it's on, it's one of those movies, you know, whenever it's on, you'll watch part of it. And that's where I'm at with that.
2: first repeats one more time and the, the chorus will harmonize over and over at the end. It's so rough. I know, but it's getting there. It's right for Carl's voice. Do you like it, dad? I mean, it'll get better. The the vocals will counterpoint the backing track. Real soulful. Oh, you don't want my advice or my meddling. Forget it. Forget what? Forget what? You don't like the song. I never said that. You can tell. Just say something. Did you close your eyes like I asked you to? Tony and I think, if you close your eyes, you can see a place where something's happening. It's like being blind, but because you're blind, you can see more. Don't you think it's a spiritual kind of thing? I closed my eyes, didn't see a thing. I don't know. Maybe it could be something with the right arrangement. Well, yeah, I have French horns on it and flutes, tambourines, sleigh bells, piano, bass, real complex key shifts. Frankly, if you really want to know, I don't care for it. It's not like a Beach Boys song your brothers are going to hate it. It's a love song. It's a suicide note. Didn't you just say it could be something with the right arrangement? Well, I gave it another thought, okay? If you can't keep your voice down in my house, get out.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I was looking for it and I did not I was not able to come across it in any of the free streaming services.
0: Well, I'll tell you, the actors involved are, I mentioned, yeah, he is. And his later day foil is Elizabeth Banks, who was Melinda, a woman that he met. And as I discovered more about the story and Dr. Gene Landy, who's played by Paul Giamatti in the story, you see Brian taking back his life. And that's around the time that he began returning to all of us. And the movie is interesting because it also juxtaposes scenes from those early Beach Boys days, including a scene where Brian has stayed home from the road after that moment we discussed a little earlier. And he's in the studio working with the Wrecking Crew. If you haven't seen it, you're going to love this scene because it involves two of our favorite Wrecking Crew members, Hal Blaine and Carol Kay. And there's this whole scene they're working on music and the band comes back from the road, and they bounce into the studio. They're so happy to see the, you know, Brian, and then he's happy to see his brothers and all that. And they and they go in, and it depicts them going in and cutting vocals after the whole layer of uh, backing tracks have been recorded by the crew, right? Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Close my eyes, she's somehow closer now. Softly smile, I know she must be kind. It's weird how she comes in so strong
2: And I wonder what she's
0: up from me. And then there's a fight scene between an argument between Mike and Brian who have been the principal songwriters for the Beach Boys up until this point in time. Change is inevitable. that's what we've learned but Mike couldn't accept it
1: the little that i do know about these two relationships are that their early songs about cars and surfing and things like that made a big impact on me their their songs yeah, they were, were a good big you know there. they were really the harmonies the vocal harmonies and you see these two guys writing all these songs and then one of them throws a curveball in there and says i'm staying home and he writes these songs by himself and with the wrecking crew i can see where there would be a little bit of tension and a little bit of uh maybe distrust or a, a falling out so to speak yeah
0: yeah falling out or a, what the fuck is going on here yeah. brian basically which is what what it was if yeah. you think
1: about it so as we have seen the songs changed a lot i mean brian did pet sounds which we'll get into at some point
0: and love just couldn't accept that that was the change that was coming from Brian's end of the songwriting deal. He's trying to cajole him back to going back to singing about girls and cars. And I think that works better when you're a late teen, early 20s kind of guy. As you start to grow older or grow up a little bit, I think you start to realize there's more to it in life.
1: Unless you're Molly Crew.
0: Oh, well, of course. There's every rule in that department. But that's what leads the Beach Boys around to Pet Sounds, which is definitely a different-sounding album. And while it wasn't a great seller at first, it has gone on to be recognized as one of the greatest albums, greatest recordings of all time, mm-hmm. especially in light of the fact that it was done in 1966 when, you know, none of the...
1: Recording tricks and equipment that existed later uh, was there when they were doing the recordings. At some point, we're definitely going to do an episode on Pet Sounds because of its importance as an album. And I was reading an article in Rolling Stone called The Healing of Brother Brian. It talked a little bit about the Pet Sounds recording and the impact it had on Brian, but the importance it had on Brian and how Brian was so focused on making a perfect album, as I use the quotes here. A perfect album. I see you
0: using air quotes. I'm so so unaccustomed to seeing that on this podcast. Go
1: ahead. But I could see where it changed everything with the band, and I can see where Mike Love would be very upset. But it didn't seem to bother his real siblings, Carl and Dennis. They seem to be okay with the direction of the band.
0: Well, I think there's a reason for that, Marcus. If you think about it, brothers grow up in the same room. They get used to each other. And if one's a little funny this way or that way, you kind of get used to that as you're adjusted normal. We mentioned it earlier. They were united against Murray. And in their room, before it was just Brian's room, maybe the reason that Brian didn't seem that... Out of it or abnormal to them is because they had seen that character, that personality evolve.
1: When you live in close quarters with your two other siblings and you're on top of each other all the time, you're going to notice every single mental and physical uh oddity that that sibling has, and that's all going to yeah, come out it living in those.
0: To being like a little less affected by it, somebody says, Man, what's up with Brian? You go, eh, It's just Brian being Brian because you're his brother. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And- to you, you it's and his I normal both behavior. understand this yeah. to some degree,
1: right? Yeah. It's <laughs> his normal lives. behavior, totally. They're like, yeah, this is just Brian being Brian. And yeah. people who aren't around him every day don't understand it. Plus, by understanding who he is, they understand his mental health issues and are able to work around or adapt. Whereas... It's second nature and it's understood versus people that he has to face every day who are like, what the fuck is this? This guy's, whoa.
0: I don't know all the details, Marcus, but, you know, members of the Manson clan ended up at Dennis Wilson's house. I mean, it was kind of a scandal when the news hit about the murders and everything and all the things we later found out about what was going on behind the scenes. I guess Dennis just thought they were a cool bunch of vagabonds. Uh, Manson fancied himself as a musician, so that would always open the door for somebody who was a professional musician,
1: right? Yes. And a couple of things I found out in the healing of uh, Brother Brian, they mention a little bit about the Manson incident, and this was a bunch of articles from like the late 60s, early 70s of the Beach Boys in Rolling Stone magazine. The mother of the Wilsons, said that Dennis was the type of guy who would give the shirt off his back to somebody who was homeless. He would buy a meal for homeless. He wanted to help people out. He seemed to be that type of a person where he... Was interested in helping these people get back on their feet. And as we all know, Charles Manson had that insane charisma. Charles wanted Dennis to produce some recording for him and oh, help him record because Charles always wanted to be a musician. And Dennis oh, was like, know. nah. Uh, uh. And I think that's no, what caused. I called...
0: always wanted to be a musician, but I learned to play the guitar <laughs>
1: more than. <I> think <laughs> <Manson and everything. laughs> But, well, uh,
0: you know, the one thing about Dennis that you, you might have glossed over is that he was amongst them maybe the most beach boy for real. Uh, yes. He was a surfer, loved the beach, lived on the beach. That attitude, that Cali attitude that uh, would become part of the 60s culture yeah. uh, and the then cool spread one. everywhere. Yeah. Was kind of the personification of that like i would say even descended from james dean in that regard you know yeah i look at pictures of him and he just looks fucking cool and, and brother carl they were like uh about a year and a half two years apart right so they were pretty close and you know he he had his role as the youngest of them and together they could make a sound we haven't talked much about the sibling harmonies we talk about sibling rivalries <laughs> on the
1: podcast, but the sibling
0: <laughs> harmony can be stunningly beautiful and i think of the the wilson sisters in heart automatically sing, John, sing. but the beach boys had that same thing that healed to us on our earliest recollections of them because of what those harmonies meant to the songs that became part of our dna for you this was all happening pet sounds was happening as you were being born i know just a crazy thought to me it's songs on the radio and i'll tell you flat out right now i want to stop full stop and tell you that long before i discovered or even could have discovered the beatles the beach boys were an integral part of my rock and roll growing up for the 60s portion of the program the things that i learned about as i was a little taught you know hearing things on the radio the beach boys became the cool guys
1: i'm almost a decade behind you and in that same time frame of my life for as much as the Beatles had come and gone and been important, very important in the history of rock and roll, Beach Boys were still played a little bit more on my stereo. I think I heard them a little bit more on the radio back in Colorado at that time period. I remember listening to Endless Summer countless times. I still have my pressing of Endless Summer from when I was a child and the importance of that album and all those songs just monumental they were played on the radio a lot
0: we talk a lot about the influence of what was on the radio on you as a youngster and by the time you came around the beach boys were in full flight so they were part of radio stations they were probably part of your grandparents and your parents listening
1: oh absolutely oh we all listen to them they're they're safe they're easy the vocal harmonies are magical
0: Carl Wilson, who we were just talking about, we were just talking about him, weren't we? (laughs) Yes, we were. Um, He was one of those people who got into smoking when he was a kid, smoked his whole life. And then they told him he had lung cancer and he died from it. It's sad and it was pretty sudden. And so then two of the Wilson brothers are gone. And Brian, who I think at that point was still rediscovering himself, starting to get out of the the Landy years, and into being the Brian Wilson we know and love here in his 70s, playing concerts and starting to do things, do stuff, which he hadn't done in years because of his illness, or because of the controlling influence of a doctor.
1: Depends upon which side of that equation you believe. That Landy story is absolutely insane. It and is. some of those Hollywood shrinks were actually Hollywood nut jobs and maybe even grifters in a way trying to uh, set, yeah, set up and steal from some <laughs> of these people who are like, oh, I'll believe in this holistic this and that. Because you read about some of the things that they were doing in those times and they were I, drinking uh, juice shakes and smoothies like kale smoothies and things like that. They were doing all that stuff that. It's popular now that everybody's bending over backwards for. The doctor did a good job keeping them sober, especially Brian, and helping, I think.
0: But it crossed a line into overly controlling him.
1: Yes, it was abusive. To his
0: detriment, and once that came out, he found himself on the free side of all of that. Sadly, during that some of that time, it's when his brothers passed away. And the guy we haven't talked about is their best buddy growing up, Al Jardine, who was with them in the Beach Boys. And I think he was pretty much the guy in there. Everybody would come and go. And Al would always be there until Carl died. And then that was it for him because he was loyal to the Wilsons to the end. He benefited greatly in his life as an artist, a musician, and I'm sure financially. Whatever they all lost because of Murray selling their music at a dirt cheap deal, mm-hmm. they made. They got stuff back. They made the road theirs. They made more music. They made more Beach Boys. Literally, People would come along, right? Daryl Dragon and uh, John Stamos and Blondie Chaplin, oh, right? Oh, yeah. All these different people came along and joined the Beach Boys and played with them in different ways and, and roles for years. But, you know, Al was done after uh, Carl's death, and he's now, what, 78? So, same age as Brian, the two sole remaining Beach Boys of the original Beach Boys.
1: Don't Mike and Brian sort of have a political uh, difference at this point right now? Aren't they on opposite ends of the spectrum politically, and don't they both tour separately? Because of some of these differences.
0: Well, thankfully, neither of them are touring, even the one who might be prone to disregard all science and truth. But when they are touring, um, they do tour separately. I believe that uh, Love has the touring rights to the name The Beach Boys. Philadelphia is proud to welcome
2: The Beach Boys with special guest Jimmy Page.
0: So we've pretty much established who all the players are and what the dynamics are, the interpersonal part of it. right? I think when we come back, we'll start talking about the music more and maybe we can trace the path of that rivalry between, certainly between Brian and Mike, the songwriters and cousins and revisit those days when these songs came flying out of the radio. These days, uh, there's not too many stations playing
1: the music of the Beach Boys. It seems like oldies radio has disappeared. Yeah, no kidding. They don't even get spun on classic rock, do they? No. No, classic
0: rock has evolved. If you're thinking about a U.S. classic rock radio, it's evolved to the point cam, where and uh, and the roses. 90s is all part of it. Oh, yeah. Yo, I heard stuff the other day. I went, wow, Morpana. that's cool. Anyways, uh, always... Have time for a classic, don't we? It's the Brothers Wilson, plus Cousin Mike, and our buddy Al, the Beach Boys, on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And you know, when I'm out on the beach, Marcus, catching a wave, laying in the sand, I get thirsty. Nothing quite quenches that thirst like a pint of crooked eye. Am I right, Marcus, or am I right?
1: I would have to say the (laughs) latter. You are correct. (laughs) Yes, or right.
0: Left, right, correct is all good. (laughs) And that's because when you go in the Crooked Eye and you look at the board, you're always going to find something that makes you feel right. Right there in the heart of Hapro at York Road in Montgomery, go see the gang at Crooked Eye. It's all good, and it's all happening at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro.
1: The fact that Crooked Eye has survived the pandemic and done a great job staying open and taking all of the necessary precautions to keep everybody safe is a wonderful thing and i think it's a testament to not only their business but who they are as people
0: well we raise our pints to you and now they're pouring at jamie's house of music in lansdowne that's not too far from you in delaware county right
1: that is true it's right down the street literally about two and a half three miles from my pad so live music and crooked eye near me too
0: Jamie's House
1: of Music does great
0: work with live music, and they never had somebody there pouring, and now the Crooked Eye crew is there bringing all those delicious brews from Hatboro. So Delaware County, come and check out Crooked Eye and the great tunes at Jamie's House of Music. All the details about all this on CrookedEyeBrewery.com, their website, and follow them on Facebook, too.
1: Whenever you need a tasty pint, remember, Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro.
0: You know, laying in the shade on the beach with a growler of crooked eyes sounds pretty good to me, man. Oh. We could take out and pop into our cassette player, our boom box with cassette, any one of the dozens, I mean dozens, of compilations of the best of the Beach Boys that have been made <laughs> since
1: 1966. Dude, we could pop them into an eight-track recorder. Hell Box. yeah! I remember Endless Summer and some of those other records on Boombox.
0: Yes. Did you ever see one of those 8-tracks that were a sphere and the, they just stick the 8-track right in it and the speaker wires would come out the back? you ever see the sphere? No. Oh, I got to get that. I'm going to find it and I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to send it to you somehow.
1: That would be amazing. Uh, a
0: friend of mine had one of those. Talking about 8-tracks, man. Woo!
2: As it Music starts automatically. Annually switch. You can see the lit up number there. Switch between programs, and then when you're done, you rip the tape out, <laughs> which feels so wrong.
1: <laughs>
0: People liked them because you could just shove them in the dashboard, right? Yep. You pull one out, go, yeah, humble pie, rocking the filler. Bam, it was in. <laughs> and the thing was, you never knew where it was going to start. It wasn't like you were getting the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, same with cassettes if they were in the middle and weren't like you know rewound or played to the end, you know, sense you never knew where you were going to pick up and run with. So, <laughs> kind of like this podcast, the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, and yeah, those uh, those Beach Boys best ofs back to the the beginning with the best of the Beach Boys, which by the way went double platinum. Best of the Beach Boys Volume Two a year later, double platinum. That's All right. right.
1: And 1968's su-
0: Best of the Beach Boys Volume Three,
1: uh, 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 Doug double platinum. What about '74's Endless Summer? It had to be oh yeah. quadruple platinum or quintuple Close. platinum, triple platinum,
0: uh, gold in Canada, silver in the U.K. Ooh. And that was really the soundtrack of the summer of 1974, despite the fact that the Beach Boys were out of vogue by then. Yeah. The wave of nostalgia for the music of the early 60s had already begun. The the, the seeds of oldies radio had already begun if they weren't already being played. And out of that came other, you know, compilations throughout the 70s. uh, Spirit of America, uh, Good Vibrations, Best of the Beach Boys, 20 Golden Greats. (laughs) By the way, that, that did well all around the world except for the United States. And these releases continued. Be true to your school in 1982. <laughs> Nothing. It was part of their profile. They created all these hits, and they even had some live albums. They had a bunch of them. I about eight or nine of those. But it all goes back to something that we've talked about before, the 45 RPM record. It was still king in a lot of ways when the Beach Boys made their debut in 1961 with a song called "Surfin'." And that would lead to Surfing Safari, Surfing USA, Surfer Girl, you name it. They surfed it, and they also surfed the top 20 regularly with all those
1: records. (laughs) The surfing theme did them so much justice as far as music goes. And they're great songs. I mean, think about it. Surfing Mm -hmm. Safari is a classic. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's running now. Come on a safari uh, with me. (laughs) hotkey. <laughs> I
0: didn't realize you were going to sing
1: it. Nah, I just uh, but Surfer that.
0: Girls kind of like the other side of that. And that was the next uh, 45 for them, our next single for them. And it's the the language, singing it for the girl on the beach, you know. The part of the the song cycle, if you will, in in Brian Wilson's head, that's probably was kind of a song cycle, and then the other theme starts to creep in too, because the B side in 1962's Surf and Safari is 409. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409.
1: She's real fine, my 409. My 409.
0: And there's your, your your love of cars. It leads to the B-side of Surfer Girl being Little Deuce Coop. You're talking about a double A-side, right?
2: She's got a
1: Oh, they had so many songs like that. I was looking through the singles and the list of those first couple of albums. One hit after another and some of these like, you know, like you said, or the B-sides were as equally as popular as some of the A-sides and Yeah. they wrote that. And it many was all about songs. fun
0: fun fun till yep. your daddy takes the T-bird away, right? Yep. There were other That's songs true. that were not 45 worthy that ended up on albums maybe. And a lot of these are the decisions that were made by people that weren't in the beach boys at that point. It was either very and the, the, and the label people
1: Gary uh, usher wrote a lot of songs with them,
0: but it's very different from what was going on later for them. And, more similar to what was going on for even the beatles at that point in 63 and 64 as far as the formula in the studio and how things were getting done Mm -hmm. you know that theme uh to the music you know girls surfing and cars really continued steadily until Mm -hmm. things start to happen and Brian has his nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. When that happens, the music starts to change. You go from Barbara, Ann-
1: uh, yeah. Barbara, 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 Barbara
0: to to Sloop John, John B. Rollin'. But don't you also feel the difference between songs like Sloop John B and Wouldn't It Be Nice and God Only Knows? Those feel different to me than even some of their biggest hits like California Girls or Help Me Rhonda.
1: Oh, yeah. It's the maturing process. They obviously got tired, or at least Brian got tired of singing about girls and beaches and things like that, and it seemed that he wanted to explore – some of his own personal demons and some of his uh mental health issues and he wanted to change directions
0: i know it's only hollywood's depiction of it marcus but when you look at the argument that happens in love and mercy he basically says they wrote for uh i guess for the movie's sake to say you know what's wrong with writing about some cars and girls and all that and going to the- what's wrong with that Brian's answer, which you'll see if you watch the movie, is basically very similar to what you just said, which is, hey, man, beast evolves. Sloop John B. is really about so much more than just sailing, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't It Be Nice is so much more, despite the cheery Beach boysy vibe of the music, is about so much more than, geez, you're so cute, I want to go dance with you on the beach. Mm-hmm. And it just
1: keeps going more and more in that direction as we get you know, into Pet Sounds. Mike Love was not very involved in the songwriting in this record, Pet Sounds. He was only involved That's in the songs. That's what I songs. think he was really
0: pissed off about, Marcus. You're right. If he was cool enough to write about some of the things and, and conceive of the things that Brian was conceiving of, he could have been a part of it. But he didn't, and he wasn't, and that's why he went to, uh, what was his name you mentioned earlier? Gary Usher. Gary Usher, right. He related more to where Brian was coming from at that point. Mm -hmm. And you know, Marcus, we're talking about this big change happening around Pet Sounds, but Gary Usher... And In My Room, which really is a peek into Brian Wilson's mind and where he is and what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. That's before all of this. And it may be one of the songs that sets that off in Brian's songwriting. And I think that had a big effect on Mike. I think he felt threatened. His livelihood, his role in the band, and his income, all those things were all threatened by Brian not writing with him. The other fear when you're in a band that's like the Beach Boys weren't riding the pop waves and the charts for as long as they were and had been is the fear that that's going to end. And when that ends, what do we do? What are we going to do? I- So maybe that was behind Murray's initial intention, or maybe it was more selfishly pointed towards himself. Hey, Murray Wilson only lived to be 55 years old. He died of a heart attack, just like his one son, just probably like his father. It may have been one of those things that's in their family that he knew he wasn't going to live long. So he was taking care of himself and his wife who mm-hmm. doesn't play that big of a role in the story other than to be a kindly mom.
1: But she was tough. Mother Wilson was was tough, yeah. Was she?
0: She was uh,
1: was the cat. Yeah, she was the glue that kept everybody together. Mm. And she was also the one who really, I think, kept the boys going positively opposite Murray.
0: Is she the kind of mom that you're thinking could say this kind of thing? Now, boys, you just have to understand your father. And, you know, after he had just delivered a brutal beating, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know enough was... about it. I or I she could have just been really genuinely kindly towards them because she knew what they were dealing with because she dealt with it too. Yep. This is rock and roll history, and this is why mm-hmm. we are the imbalance history of rock and roll. Ray and Marcus just kind of hanging out, kind of picking apart the the sibling rivalry part of, of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. And you know, despite all this, and Brian eventually permanently done with the band and the road. And- I. continues to write music and they have hits they keep having hits into the late 60s and into the 70s and it starts to fade but here's the thing the beach boys the magic of the beach boys really never fades and despite their later hit which put them back on the charts at one point kokomo yeah
1: there's a
2: place called kokomo that's where
0: Despite Look. that, in my mind, um, their music endured and they became one of the early nostalgia acts to really have a live touring career, mm-hmm. which Mike Love gets full credit for championing or directing for the most part mm-hmm. because Brian wasn't around, Al was there, so it became... I won't say a tribute because he and Al were in it, but you know, it became the model for a lot of bands who lose members, yep, but continue the name and the brand forward and the Beach Boys brand is eternal
1: absolutely eternal and those songs 20 years 30 years from now will still make you feel good when you hear them you will have so much fun listening to little deuce coop and fun 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 and be true to your school and while they may not relate relate on a lyrical level they still kind of do they have relevance today and they'll have relevance 20 years from now
0: and you know what else they do they allow you take the dust cover off your personal time machine your imbalanced time machine and (laughs) jump in and transport mentally at least to that point in time if you think about brian wilson touring writing continuing to make music it's one of the gifts that we got because he got away from gene landy
1: do you think his music would have stopped Or been completely different had he stayed in the clutches of Dr. Gene Landy?
0: You know a little bit more about this than I do, so why don't you expound, my friend?
1: Again, reading the healing of Brother Brian, Brian's wife went to Dr. Landy because she had heard about him through some of their Hollywood friends, some of their celebrity friends. And he was a celebrity shrink or a celebrity doctor helping people, celebrities, get back on track if they were off track, but it wasn't just him. He had a stable of doctors and people around him. He had other shrinks. He had a nutritionist. He had therapists. He had multiple people that worked with him and worked with Brian. And for instance, when they would be out doing things as the Beach Boys in public, there would always be one or two bodyguards with Brian Wilson to make sure he didn't indulge in any of his weaknesses or fall off whatever wagon or you know take pills or do any of those things you know what and so he was kind of strong-armed in that way
0: love and mercy has that element in it and it does come across more like a strong-arm enforcer type situation and not a caring guardian looking out for you while you're out in the world Mm
1: -hmm. yeah And while we were talking about it, it it almost makes it seem as if people who trust their care in these people don't want to be responsible for their own actions in a way. And it seems like that. I shouldn't say it's like that, but it seems as if they're putting their faith in other people to be responsible for their actions for them, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And, And it actually is a reasonable thing to wonder.
1: From the little bit of stuff that I've read about Dr. Landy, he had a pretty tight grip on Brian Wilson and the Wilson plan. In every way. Every way, in every aspect of his life. I don't understand how he was able to even function having somebody that far up his ass, so to speak, because I know I would malfunction (laughs) in that way if I had somebody that far up my ass at every move I made. No way. I couldn't handle it. I would fall apart completely.
0: I'm just looking at something the research department sent me because of what we were talking about.
1: What did the research department send you?
0: Well, it's talking about a thing in summer 2018 with Mike Love getting together with Brian Wilson and Al Jardine for a little Q&A on satellite radio to promote uh, the Beach Boys Channel's debut. And the concern, I guess, going into that day was that it could be kind of weird for Brian and Mike, who've had a very strained relationship, as we pointed out. But Love said it was very positive, that whole get-together. Nothing about that serious thing was negative, as far as I can see. At the end of it, Brian and I sat together, and he said, I love you, Mike. And I said, I love you, Brian. It was really sweet. Now, of course, that's one man's view of it, but that's kind of the latest snapshot they could find while we've been doing the rest of the podcast Mm -hmm. stuff. You know, that rivalry, that's where they feel it's at. And maybe it's there because Mike's in charge Mm -hmm. and Brian doesn't want to be in charge anymore. And, And that makes things cosmically more in sync rather than trying to fight things and trying to get things and... Um, The one thing I'm happy about out of all this is that Brian has his life Mm -hmm. and has taken control and responsibility for his life because his mind is a wonderful thing that gave us so many great feelings inside us. Tell me if this wasn't true for you when you found out that Brian had had so many health issues mentally. Did it make you think along the lines of... Wow, all these wonderful sounds came from this troubled mind. Did you ever have that thought?
1: Not really. I was older when I learned and understood the depths of Brian Wilson's issues, so I don't think I did feel that way. I think I just Do You think it's a...
0: cuz when we're younger we're not really around it much. We don't really understand it much. I... That, that it takes time for us to understand the different types and depths of mental illness, because I know you talk about it a lot as public service director Mm -hmm. for the radio station.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's I think we deal with mental illness our whole lives and I think it's around us. Look at how the Wilson brothers were with Brian. Ah, that's just yes. Brian being Brian. And so you know somebody so well that that just becomes part of their everyday makeup. That that quirk where okay, Johnny needs to go sit in his room in the dark for twenty minutes a day to decompress because of whatever's going on. That's just his routine, and that's just how he deals with people. So I think that's more how you look at it as a kid, and especially back then when those issues weren't talked about. You did not speak about mental illness, and it's that type of uh, stigma is Mm -hmm. evident. And so I think growing up when I did, you didn't talk about that stuff. I mean, we might have joked about it because we were uncomfortable or didn't know about it, but we didn't really... uh, Understand it in that same way. I think that came along more in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. There's
0: a little bit of a uh, timeline marker for Mm -hmm. the relationship between the real sibling rivalries and the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson and Mike Love, both still alive, both still, you know, active when things are active, Mm -hmm. and very different in a lot of ways. And we won't get into all the politics of it, but let's just say they are at least somewhat to completely diametrically opposed as far as that stuff goes. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, I mentioned that you can see Brian Wilson's depiction in the movie Love and Mercy. He actually, you know, is in the movie. They do um, a lot of um, interview stuff with him that is interspersed uh, at the end, especially. It's kind of neat. As uh, the movie's wrapping up and they're showing him interacting with all the people who were involved in it. Mm-hmm. And also his role in Echo in the Canyon, mm-hmm. um, that really great documentary that we've talked about many times that came out in 2018, just sitting there talking about his life in the canyon. And that's where we see the story about the sand in the living room, which is depicted in Love and Mercy. And one of my favorite lines in the movie comes from that scene. And somebody's standing there with Brian's wife in the 60s in the
1: living room. And he's at the
0: piano playing, sitting there, the whole piano in a- uh, In
1: the sandbox.
0: The person says to Brian's wife, Kind of crazy, huh? She goes, yeah, but the songs are fucking amazing. Yes. And that became Pet Sounds. That's absolutely beautiful. Thanks. What is it?
2: Oh, that's that- just something that I, I came up with when I saw you. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Nothing. It's gone. That was just for you. That's so incredible. Oh my God. That just, like, came out of you. Is that how it works. It just yeah.
0: Sometimes those songs, that time, they're right there, turning the corner. So artists always deal from a different deck of cards. But in this case, the deck was kind of funky, and people weren't familiar with. What he was going through at that time a lot of it was the times and we talk about you know not that much longer before that all the we don't talk about
1: the mental illness he's not quite right in the head. yes yes he's
0: always been this way according to his brother a little off if you should ever leave me life would to go on believe me the world could show nothing to me so what good would do me but only knows what I'd be without you here's the thing if Brian Wilson isn't the man he is becomes the man he is the songwriter and artist that he becomes we don't have all this wonderful music that came from a brilliant mind that was just way ahead of its time as far as understanding and thank you Brian Wilson
1: we love you indeed
0: I don't know how we're getting out of 1958. We've been in this closet in Brian Wilson's room for a long time. I hope they man. don't. I
1: hope Murray doesn't hope catch they, us. He'll beat us up. All I want
0: to <laughs> know is is LAPD SWAT sitting outside with all their guns drawn, <laughs> waiting for us to come out.
1: Who are those creepy old guys from the future in their bedroom closet? <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, let me open this door.
0: <laughs> now we're good time machines over in the corner let's go all right <laughs> dude we're back but i got some sand in my shoes do you yeah well they're hanging on the beach man at least <laughs> mentally for all that time gotta <laughs> bring something back from the distant past
1: cool i brought a floral beach shirt Hey.
0: You know, I wonder how many people are going to search to see if they can find Land of the Lost on Netflix.
1: It's not on Netflix, <laughs> no? so it's not on Netflix. I looked for and don't it. Don't
0: substitute that weak Will Ferrell uh, remake. Don't, no, don't do that. Watch the real deal. Yes, the sleeve stacks. Uh oh, Chongo. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right, hey man. Uh, TV was great in that era we just visited for the Beach Boys uh, back in the 60s. TV was great Mm -hmm. back then. There's some rock and roll TV stuff from back then. We should do an episode about sometime.
1: (laughs) Definitely. We should definitely do rock and roll TV from the 60s because it launched a lot of that rock and roll to the world.
0: Indeed, my friend, as always, you are spot on. Are you ready to go? I am, yeah. I blew out my flip-flop. I just got to go find a new one or steal some of these flip-flops. Look, there's a pair of flip-flops over there by the side. You should
1: stop at the store in 1958 and get them for a nickel. (laughs)
0: That's right. And they lasted forever.
1: Yes, they did. They'd still Um, be working today.
0: Probably. We're off the beach and on to the next episode here. Uh, This one, the sibling rivalry inside the beach, boys. Not what we thought when we first put this on the board and drew it up. But really, the Beach Boys' rivalry is between cousins. Uh, Mike loved kind of like a, a brother to them, part of their musical family. And mm-hmm. Brian and he had their issues through the years. And uh, pretty much Dennis and Carl went along with things as they would go and tended to stick with their brother on things. Because he was their brother.
1: True, true, true.
0: And so with all that having been discovered and unearthed and discussed ad nauseum... I'm going to go listen to Pet Sounds and think about our next get-together here on the
1: podcast. Nice. I'm going to pop on some Endless Summer and uh, get ready for this summer.
0: Hey, whatever memory this podcast episode may have jarred in your brain, get out of your time machine and send us an email to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. Feel free to chime in on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can feel the guitars playing, the sand on my feet, the sun in the air, the surf. Till the next time, from the Dark Duck
1: Studios, I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman.
0: And this is the Imbalanced History
1: of Rock and Roll.